0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcasts. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly wraps up his two-part series with a message entitled 2006, Are You Ready to Grow? Part 2. Well, it's great to be with you again as we launch this new year. If you were here last week, which I realize most of you weren't, <laughs> but anyway, um, we started a new series, not that I'm bitter or anything, no, no, I'm not bitter, it's just, you know, welcome back. Um, but uh, we started a new series called, this is a two-week series called 2006, Are You Ready to Grow? And, and base, the basic premise of this series is that God is going to come to each one of us this year with new opportunities for growth. But whether we grow or not is not automatic, it's whether we're ready to walk through those doors when God opens them. And so today we're asking, this week and uh, last week we've been asking us six important questions. You might say, I thought there was supposed to be seven, and yeah, there was, but there's only six. And so we have six important questions um, of, are you ready to grow? And so last week, um, if you weren't here, uh, again, which most of you, but anyway, um, let me uh, l- let me go over for those of you who missed or for those of you who were still asleep last week, um, I think that takes in most of you. But anyway, uh, last week's chess class, there was three questions, all right, they're on your note sheet. Number one, we asked the question, are you ready for change? We saw that God is in the change business and that when he invades our life and he comes in, he begins to change us from the inside out. We talked about the Greek word metam- uh, metamorpho, the, the word, we get our word metamorphosis, how it's a, how a tadpillar becomes a frog. It's how a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And we talked about God's out to change us. And so are we ready to change? The second question we asked is, do you have a plan for growth? And we said that, you know, when God starts a change process in us, he often, uh, he puts a desire in us to change. He starts kind of cultivating that. But there are often some specific steps that we need to take in order to actually change. And so we talked, do you have a plan for growth? And then number three, we said, are you ready to let go of the past? And we looked at the fact that many times, uh, what keeps us from moving into God's preferred future for us is just our past. There's things we've done, there's mistakes we've made, uh, there's rebellion or whatever. We've just, we're kind of holding on to it. We don't think that God has a plan for us because we're not sure we deserve the plan. Or we're afraid to fail. And so we talked about letting go of the past and moving into the future with God's forgiveness. And so if you weren't here last week, um, I encourage you to go online, uh, download it to your iPod, buy a CD afterwards, but listen to these questions and, and kind of go with us into this, uh, this new year. Now today you'll notice there's three more questions, and again, just like last week, in front of each question is a blank space, and that blank space is for you to grade yourself. Now if you were here last week, you know that we kind of had a rule that you don't have to grade yourself during the service. Because there may be someone next to you, you don't really want them to see, you're great. And so that's okay, just take them home, kind of grade it in your brain right now, and then take it home, write it down, think about it, pray about these questions this week. It's just a great way to see if we're ready to grow this new year. Now, let's jump in. Are you ready to grow, part two. Um, this first question is very different than the three we looked at last week. Remember last week, they were all big picture questions. You know, are you ready to change, or do you have a plan? Um, are you ready to let go of the past? I mean, these are big picture uh, kind of big focus type questions. This next one's going to be very specific. It's the only one of the six that's very specific. But hang with me. If you wonder, like, why is it there? It, it'll come. I think it'll get clear as we go along. Here it is. Number four. Is your financial house in order? And might say, so, like, of all the questions you could have asked us, I mean, you started with 10, you moved to 7, now you're down to 6. Um, but of all the questions you could have asked us, why this question? You know, of all the things you could have focused on, And and I'll tell you why. It's because the longer I'm a leader, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize what a huge impact our finances have on all of our life. There's one of those areas where they can be a blessing or a curse. And it's one of those areas where many times as Christians, Satan wants to immobilize us. He wants to take us out of the game. He wants to... It's one of those areas where if, if we're sort of like behind the eight ball and things are not going well financially and we just can't pay our bills and we got credit piling up and so on, it just takes so much time and energy and focus on this that we really can't focus on the growth areas of our life that he wants. It's amazing the conflict, for example, it can cause in families. It can take us out of the game serving wise. It can take us out of the game uh, giving wise, cause huge problems uh, in, in our family just because of the area of finances. And so it's really been on my heart this year to talk about that at the start of the year, to talk about that as a congregation. Could this be that this is the year where this is part of God's growth plan for you to get a handle on this if this is an issue in your life? And I promise you today, this is not going to be a drive-by guilting it 's not about, it's, this is not about coming and saying shame on you it 's just about being honest together as a congregation say, do we have an issue here? If we do have an issue let 's get on top of it so that we can be really free to grow in the way God wants us to grow this year. You know A couple years ago, I was in a doctoral course at uh, the, the seminary where working on my doctorate, and the, the professor there had some fascinating statistics about finances in our Ameri- uh, in America for the average American. And a couple months ago, because I didn't really trust him, uh, I went online to check it out at highly reputable sources like Yahoo and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Motley Fool um, and uh, the Reserve Bank at San Francisco, the United States Reserve Bank. And, uh, and here's some statistics. And just kind of see if you can relate to this here. Probably if we're an average group, you know, we'll probably relate to this. See if you can. Um, if you're an average American then you have about nine or more credit cards. Remember nine credit cards. And on those credit cards, it's interesting, the debt in our country has raised, back in the 1990s, for the average American, they would have about $3,000 worth of credit card debt. Well, now that's written to, risen to $8,500 in just that short amount of time. Um, it's interesting, uh, about 48%, about half of credit card users pay the minimum monthly amounts. About half of us. And, and you know what that means? Um, it means that we're basically tithing to Lord Visa, right? <laughs> because you stop and think about it. Um, uh, you know, like, you, normally in credit cards, you usually pay in 10, 20%, right? And so it's like a tithe or like a double tithe to Lord Visa every month when it comes in. You know, we just kind of bow down. Okay, here's our money. Um, uh, what this adds up to for our country, this is unbelievable to me. That is, as Americans, we spent last year on our finance charges, okay, fifty billion dollars. Now, to put that in perspective, I saw in USA Today today. Uh, it's reading in the entertainment section. It said it's been a, bet, a down year for movies, you know, this year, and so movies have only taken in about nine billion dollars this year. So we, we do nine billion in entertainment movies. We do fifty billion in finance charges that are getting us nothing for our money except buying us time average college student if you're in college you'll see if you're average you got about three credit cards and the average college student already has a debt of three thousand dollars so you're well on your way to the great american debt dream Um, now the interest was saving here's here's an interesting one the last half of the 20th century as a nation the average person saved eight percent of their income that has fallen now to the average person saves 1% to 2% of our income. And what this does is means that we're becoming a nation of debtors. You know, give us new meaning, the Lord's Prayer. "Prayer, <laughs> Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. But anyway, um, so here's the point. Could it be that this is the year that God wants to really do something? And you know, we can really do something about this. We can solve this problem. It's going to take a little hard work. It's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some education. But it's definitely solvable. I want you to take your Bibles. and I want you to see what God's Word says about this in Proverbs chapter 21. Now, next week we're starting a new series called The Power of Perspective. And it's a book of kind of life principles from the book of Proverbs. I hope you can be here. It's going to be uh, a really great series. And uh, Proverbs talks a lot about money. We'll have one week at the end of this series, more towards the spring, where it just we'll focus totally on what, what does Proverbs say about giving, spending, saving, uh borrowing, and so on. Um But we're gonna get a little head start on it today. So Proverbs twenty one five. It says The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Plans of the diligent lead to profit. He says, financially, if you want to be profitable in your life, there's two things you have to do. You have to have a plan and then you have to be diligent to work the plan. So here's the question. If you're financially kind of up a creek right now, if things are really, you know, not going well in that area, you find yourself in a lot of debt. Here's my question. Do you have a plan are you being diligent to work that plan? Remember last week we said, I asked, do you have a plan for growth? Well, this might be a very practical area for you. That this year, do you have a plan to solve this problem? Let's go to chapter 22, Proverbs. 22-7. The rich rule over the poor, and catch this, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Ooh, isn't that true? You know, do you dread that day when the Visa bill comes, you know? Or MasterCard, I'm quit picking on Visa. It's an it's a equal opportunity. For everything else, there's MasterCard, right? Okay. Did you know that, um, you know, the borrower is servant to the lender? Well, it's true, isn't it, in so many ways. But, but think of it this way. That, you know, do you know in marriage counseling, if you're talking to counselors across our country, and, and like what brings couples in and what are the things that couples fight about the most? You know, one of the top two things is usually finances. See, when, when our finances are out of whack, it's not just that we're behind and we owe money. It's there, it puts a tension and a pressure on all of our lives. Um, remember what Jesus said about this. He said, hey, I don't want you, as my followers, he said, I don't want you to really worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat. He said, I don't want you to worry about that because is life not more important than those things? He said, in other words, if you're all focused on this financial stuff, you can't really focus on the kingdom stuff that I want to do in your life. I've got plans for your life and you're just, you're so tied into this, you see? And so, when we find ourselves upside down in our finances, it really just takes us out of the game, spiritually. So, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to challenge you this year. Could this be the year? You know, we've been advertising these course, uh, courses, uh, last, uh, last, uh, last, uh, hour I called it crown credit. It's not crown credit. It's crown financial, okay? These, these, these courses, it's a 10-week course. We've been pushing them. The reason why we've been pushing them so much is because this is just becoming a really high priority in my heart for us as a congregation. I want to see us as a congregation move into the year with financial freedom so that we're free to serve and see what God wants us to do. And so these courses, you know, there's multiple ways to do it. You can go right over afterwards. If, this is your, if God's putting it on your heart, you can sign up, and it's a 10-week course, and, and you'll, you know, it's just amazing what you'll learn. And it's a great spiritual experience as well, because there's so much time in God's Word. Um, some of you are in life groups. There's another way. This year, your, your life group can elect to say, we want to bring in videos of the Crown Ministries... And we can do them right in your life group. You don't have to even change life groups. You just do it right there. What an awesome thing to do. Or if you say you want even more, you can actually bring a trained facilitator. We will provide that into your life group. And they will come in and you'll study this together. You do the videos, and have the trained facilitator, and they will walk you through. You can keep your very life group together just for one quarter. And it wouldn't be great as a group. So, you see, there's all kinds of opportunities. I just want to challenge you. Maybe this is the year for that. And I want to encourage you, you know, maybe... Um, Well, there on your note sheet, let's see what Jesus said, how important this was spiritually. He said, um, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who will trust you with true riches? Jesus says that our stewardship of our finances is kind of like the first grade of spirituality. He says, if 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 you prove yourself trustworthy in this financial, physical realm, then I will give you true riches in the spiritual realm for eternal significance, you see? But I'm looking to see, will you be responsible there? And so if you haven't been, hey, maybe you never had training. Research says that most Americans have never had any practical training in handling your finances. We try to figure it out. Maybe you never had the, the education and how to do this. Um, maybe you said, "No, I do have the education. I knew I shouldn't put it on my visa. I just did it anyway because I wanted it. and It was a bad thing and I, I recognize that. Well, great. But remember, one of our principles is are you ready to leave the past behind? This is not about beating yourself up over what you already are. Let's just, let's just leave it behind. Let's look for a solution. Let's move into the future, uh, financially strong as a congregational, personal finances, our church finances, so we can be really available to God for whatever He wants to do. You see? Okay, that's question number four. Now let's go back to some more generic, uh, broader based type questions. This next one's kind of fun. At least it's fun for me. May not be quite as fun for you. But it goes like this. Are you ready for risk? Remember, the question is, are you ready to grow this year? And what I'm saying is that growth always involves risk. I don't know if you've thought about this, but faith and risk are like two sides of the same coin. Whenever God asks us to take a step of faith, it always involves a step of risk. That's why it's you need faith. I mean, if it were no risk, you wouldn't need faith. You're just like, oh, you know, no risk. You go. So faith and risk are like, they go together. And they're one of God's top priorities to teach us how to grow, how to trust him, how to be willing to step out and take risks with him. Now, I'm not talking about stupid risks. All right? I want to be real clear. Yeah, I, I, I read about a sign once. It was on a fence in Indiana. It was on one of those you know, places where you graze cattle and stuff like that. And here's what the, the fence said. It said, uh, if you cross this field... You better be able to do it in 9.8 seconds. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. The bull does it in 10. (laughs) I'm not talking about crazy risks, okay? I'm not talking about that you take this risk and like, what are you doing? You know, all your friends and and your wise counsel in your life are saying, that's really stupid. Don't be doing that. And, oh, no, God will support me, you know, and and God's going to take care of me. And we kind of blame our stupidity on God. I'm not talking about that kind of a risk, okay? But I'm talking about those times in our life when God comes to us and we know God is calling us to step out of our comfort zone and to do something that's a little scary, something a little risky, something that takes a step of obedience, something that's a little dangerous. God's really into this stuff, I'm telling you. It's funny how the the non-Christian world often looks at Christians as being the people who play it safe. Oh boy, oh boy, if that's true, we got a ways to go. Because I'll tell you what, when you look at the Bible, God is always calling people to risk. In fact, when God shows up, hold on to your seats. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Uh, Abraham, remember the story of Abraham? Some of you are using your life journals, and if you are, and you're in the black journal for sure, I know this week you read about Abraham, probably the other one too. And, uh, And so God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I got a plan for your life. Great, what is it? I want you to leave everything precious, I want you to leave your homeland, leave your country, leave your extended family. And I want you to go to, well, I don't really feel comfortable telling you yet. You know, just head in this direction. I'll let you know when you get there. Now, how many of you want to make a move like that tomorrow? And it's like, kind of scary, isn't it? Kind of risky. Uh, how about Moses? Remember when Moses, he left Egypt because he killed somebody. There was a warrant out for his arrest. Remember that? And so now, you know, years later, God comes and says, Moses, I have a plan for your life. You're going to go back to the head warden of all of, of Egypt. We call him the Pharaoh. And you say, reporting for duty. And here's your message. I want you to let all the prisoners go. Not just me. <laughs> Let's just let all the slaves go. Oh, how many want to sign up for that assignment? Now, here's one. Joshua, okay, Joshua, I want you to leave the nation of Israel in the promised land, but I want to wait till the, the Jordan is at flood levels, and then we're going to walk through it. And then after you do that, he says, we're going to, here's the plan, I want you to go and march around this city of Jericho. You're going to look like an idiot. In fact, everyone in Jericho, they're going to be laughing at you, idiot Hebrews, uh, but just trust me, it's going to work out. You know, a little risky. Um, how about this Gideon remember Gideon God calls Gideon to lead the charge against their enemies the Midianites there's like huge I can't remember exactly the number but it was something like the Bible describes it the Midianites were like you know covering the sand of the seashore so this is huge you know 180,000 some, some huge number and he says Gideon I want you to lead the charge against the Midianites and getting, are you sure about this? I mean, I have hardly any people. They got a ton of people. Are you sure about this? Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm not so sure that you're sure. So I'm going to lay down the sheepskin here and do this fleece thing. Would you make it wet? And then we make it dry. We just run through that drill for a while. Okay, I'll do it. And then, then God says, okay, but one more thing, getting, you got way too many guys. There's a few too many people. Well, like how many? Oh, thousands. Well, how many were you thinking of, God? Well, I think 300 would do. Uh, you want to be leading that charge? How about Esther? And she comes before uh, the, the whole Jewish nation is going to be wiped out. She's the queen. Her uncle Mordecai comes in and says, you know what? You're our best plan. We want you to go before the king and ask him to protect us as a nation. Now I understand that if the king, when you come in, since you're coming without an invitation, if he doesn't extend your sept- the scepter towards you, I realize that means you're going to die. But oh well. You're our best bet, you know? How about this? Nathan, God comes to the prophet Nathan. He says, Nathan, I've got some bad news and some worse news. The bad news is King David has committed adultery and murder. That's the bad news. The worst news is I'd like you to go talk to him about it. (laughs) You know, Peter and John. Jesus comes by. Hey, boys, why don't you leave your nets? Don't worry about your family. got to take care of them. Would you come with me for the next few months? Now, you see what I'm saying? Whenever God shows up in our life, it gets risky. In fact, if you look through the Bible, I challenge you, look for an example. I couldn't think of any this week. Think of an example when God shows up and things stay the same. God shows up, he says, hey, just want you know, everything's going great. Kick back, have a lemonade, put it on cruise control for a while. I'm just happy the way things are. I was like, no, no, no. When God shows up, it's always time to, you know, first thing in the Hebrew, fasten your seatbelts. You know, it's the first thing that happens. All right. And here's the point. Chances are in your life this year that God is going to ask you to take some risks. Might be big, might be small. I don't know what they are. We'll talk more later. I'll give some examples later. But chances are he's going to ask you to take some risks. My favorite risk takers in the Bible is the apostle Peter. Matthew 14 tells the story. We won't turn there. Let me tell you a story. The day before, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. The people are so impressed. They come. They want to make him the king. And Jesus knows it's a bad idea. And so he sends the crowds away. He goes up in the mountains to pray, sends his disciples across the lake, the boat. Now in the middle of the night, he comes down for praying. In the middle of the night, this huge storm has come up. Imagine, remember the movie Perfect Storm? Perfect Storm. I want you to picture that, except smaller scale, smaller boat, you know. The disciples are out there, they're, they're experienced fishermen, they know how this works, and they know how to fight waves, but they're freaking out, they're thinking, we're going down. This, this, this uh, storm is unbelievable, huge waves, dark night, and all of a sudden they freak out, they look in the distance, it's like they see someone coming towards them. Now remember, they had not read Matthew 14 yet, okay, and we always do this to the Bible, we always go back and we read it as if they knew what we know, you know? And so we always go back and like, oh yeah, it's Jesus coming. They didn't know that. Just some dude, it's coming. It's freaking them out. In the history of the world, no one has ever walked on water at this point. So they're not thinking it's Jesus. All right? So, so they're, they're coming. This, this kind of dude's coming towards them and they're like, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, cool down. It's me. It's Jesus. It's all right. So Peter decides to test him. He comes up with the lamest test in the history of the universe. Here's his test. Hey, if it's really you, why don't you ask me to come to you? I'm thinking like if it's me, I'd be going like, what's your mother's maiden name? (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we talked last week, just you and me. What did I say? You know, I'd be thinking, of, could you do a handstand? You know, something. No, no, no. It, come. Like, what's that going to prove? If it's a ghost, you're going to drown, right? And so Jesus says, come on, Peter. You got to be, Jesus, his heart had to be just so full. It's like, I love this guy. and yeah, he can't think worth a bean, but... It, he's got the heart the size of the world you know like he goes come on peter and peter gets out of the boat and he gets he gets to do what no one else has ever done he gets to walk on water can you imagine what a growth experience that was can you imagine his grandkids hey papa we tell someone about walking on water you know well i got out of the boat and it was really cool you know many times we tell that story we focus on like oh peter he took his eyes off jesus he began to sink are you crazy there's like 11 guys who stayed in the boat you know it's like he's my hero he's the one guy who went for it i care less how the end of the story goes he did it for a while you know he he took the risk and he grew and jesus was there to pick him up when he fell and i love that about peter well you know in our lives it's how it always works there are times when you want to grow in your life, God's going to call you to get out of the boat, to get out of your comfort zone. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that this year he's going to ask you in some way to get out of the boat. It's what God followers have always done. They've always been risk takers. I was thinking through our life this last year. it just been such a wild year. You know, a year ago, we thought we knew what was going on in our lives. You know, we're down there in North San Diego County. A lot of you know the story. Some of you are new. we lived there our whole lives. Been part of a little church that started off as a couple hundred people. Had grown to 5,500 people. Learned ministry there. Family there. Friends there. It's all set. And then that Stan Lubeck. <laughs> uh, and Stan calls. You know, it's January 4th. He called. This last uh, anniversary is this last Wednesday. Stan calls. And all of a sudden, we sense God saying, hey, come to me on the water. I want you to leave your family, leave your friends, leave the blessings you've had here, leave the beach. (laughs) Not the beach. Uh, Leave your new kitchen. You know, you know, and go to a land that I will show you. It's the way it always works. It's the way it always works, you know. You want to grow, there's going to be some risk involved. See, there's a, there's a price we pay for growth. The price you and I pay for growth is risk. But there's a price we pay for staying in the boat, and that price is stagnation. He says, really, in the spiritual life, there's really, not the ob- there's really not the option of coasting. Coasting's not an option. You're either slowing up, you're, you're slowing down, or you're speeding up. You're growing, getting better, or you're, you're dying. But the cool thing is, is that risk always leads to reward. When God's calling us on a risk, it always leads to reward. You think of it in the stories of Abraham becomes the father of nations, He leaves his extended family, but he becomes the father of nations. Moses becomes one of the greatest spiritual uh, leaders in all of history. Joshua, he gets the last laugh, right? The walls come down. Um, Esther, she saves the whole nation. Peter and John, because the leaders of the most powerful movement in the history of the human race. It always works out. I was thinking of our lives you know, we are so thankful. I am so thankful for Rocky Peak. I am so thankful that God asked us to get out of the boat. I could not be happier to be here. I've seen the growth in myself. I've seen the growth in my wife. I've seen the growth in my family. I've seen what God's doing at this church. I'm so excited about the future. But see, growth like that only happens when we get out of the boat. We just have to have to take Now, What would that look like in your life? I want to get it as practical as I can. And I want to give you some examples What does getting out of the boat look like in your life? Well, it could be this. I mean, Let me run through something. It could be a spiritual decision. Some of you have not yet given your life to Christ. You really want to. You sense God pulling you. You you sense there's something there. You don't have all the answers, but you know there's something real. And you know God's calling to you to give your life to Christ. But it's scary, isn't it? Because you sense intuitively that when you give your life to Jesus, it's no longer your life. And, And so he could mess with your life. He could change you. He, you don't know what he's going to do. He's not a tame lion, right? There's a risk there. There's a risk in giving your life to Jesus. Oh, but the reward's unbelievable. Um, financial decisions. Giving, spending, saving. Got an email from a guy off the messages. this fall he talked about tithing and stuff like that. And he said, Mike, unbelievable I emailed you about this tithing thing. You gave me some counsel. I took your advice. I took the risk. And he said, it's just paid off so huge. God has come through in such amazing ways. It's a risk. Um, life group. Joining a life group. You're in a life group, but going to a new level of sharing and vulnerability as you enter this winter quarter. That's a risk. Marriage. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. You don't want to go to a counselor. It's a scary thing to go to the counselor. What if they could kind of see right through you? What if they bring up issues you're not ready to deal with? What if you can't solve the problem? There's risk. Ministry decision. I talked to a young lady yesterday who came up and said, Mike, I really feel like God's putting it on my heart to start a um, a life group for Spanish speakers. And I'm like, that is such a beautiful dream. So it's kind of scary for me. I, I don't really know how to do that. I don't really know, you know. I, but I don't want to be disobedient. God's putting in my heart. I don't want to tell Him no. It's a risk. Maybe there's a new ministry decision in your life this year that's ahead of you. Here's one. Maybe it's a a relationship, like a forgiveness issue there's someone that's hurt you and you've been holding on to that and it just feels so risky to let it go. Like if you let it go, they're going to get away with something and the universe is going to be off-centered and it's a risk. How about this? A mentoring or a friendship. Maybe there's someone that God's putting in your heart you'd really like to ask them to mentor you or to be closer friends and yet if you ask, they may reject you. There's a risk. You live in a home where there 's domestic violence you 've been pretending for years that it isn 't the case, and yet God is calling you to come out and be the, the truth that this is an abusive situation you need to get help you 're a man and you have a pornography issue, and you know it, and your wife knows it and it 's breaking both your hearts and it 's tearing your marriage apart and you know there 's a group here at the church that's for men 's purity that can help guys learn to overcome this difficult area of our lives and And you've been thinking about going, but it's scary. It's scary to go, to let other guys in on what you struggle with. And what will they think? And, hey, if you go to a group, now you really will have to change. And it's a risk. You're living together. You're not married. You know it's wrong. You know it's sexual sin. You know that God's not pleased. You know it's not okay. And yet you're not sure. Well, if we if we make a commitment to be sexually pure, that means we'd have to move out, and then we don't... We don't know where we live, and we don't know if we can financially afford that. Oh, it's a risk, you see. Can I tell you that? The kingdom of God advances on risk. The kingdom of God always advances with risk leading the way. It's the way it is. Always has been, always will be. There on your note sheet, great quote by a guy named Ron Osborne. He says, unless you try to do something beyond what you've already mastered, you will never grow. Boy, is that true. And then this anonymous quote that I came across years ago, and I I, I love this quote. Someday I'm using it. Well, here's the day. To venture out is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas and your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to resist to risk not uh, not being loved in return. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. To live is to res- to risk dying. But risk must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to ris- risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he cannot learn, he cannot feel, he cannot change or grow or love or live. Chained by closed-mindedness, he becomes a slave, and he's forfeited his freedom for only a person who risks can truly be free. Isn't that good? That's powerful. And God would say amen. Jesus would say that's right. Remember the parable? The parable of the talents, and the guy that took it on the chin in that parable is the guy who says, I don't want to risk. I'm going to take my talent. I'm going to put it in the ground. No risk here. And Jesus says, we got a place for people like that. It's called outer darkness. It was his way of encouraging us (laughs) to take a risk. All right, number six. Now, this number six, is this is just kind of a really weird question to end with. I, I admit it. You're going to be saying, "Like, what are you? is that the best you could do? Like you've had all these weeks to prepare. You had 10 questions. You've cut it down to six. This is it. I mean, 2006. I mean, we're ready to go. This is our last question. This is it. This is the best you could do. Okay, well, just hang with me, all right? I think you'll like it by the time we're done. Are you ready to open your box? Let me tell you a story. This guy named uh, Michael Cammie. At least the time I read this story. He's an atheist. He's a high-power business consultant. Very successful guy. In fact, at one time he was a director of strategic planning for IBM during their years of rapid growth. Later on, Xerox hired him away, and this is like 15 years ago. So Xerox hired him away for a seven figure signing bonus. You know? So the guy's really good at just consulting and strategic planning. And one of the questions he asks when he gets together with CEOs and uh, uh, to talk about their company or their personal growth, one of his favorite consulting questions he says, What's in your box? It's his way of saying, what is your top value in life? What is your top priority as a person or as a company? What are we shooting for here? And he says, I, If you can tell me what your top priority is for your company or your personal life, then I can help you strategically figure out how to get there. But if you can't tell me what your top priority is, then I can't tell you how to get there. And he says, so I want you to imagine there's a box here on the table, and I want you to figure out what your top priority, your top value is in life, and I want you to, to boil it down to one word, or maybe two words, and then we're gonna put that in the box. And once that's in the box, then I can give help to you. Well, one of the guys that's consulted with him many years ago is a guy named Bob Buford. Bob was a wealthy entrepreneur. He made his money in the cable TV business, made, you know, just gazillions of dollars, just, you know, really, really super wealthy. And so in his mid-40s, he's like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I've got more money than I could ever spend, you know, I just don't need money anymore. And, and Bob happened to be a Christian, and he said, I wonder if God has a plan for the rest of my life. I wonder if there's something unique he wants me to do to focus in to build his kingdom. And so in trying to figure that out, he hired Michael Cammie to come and consult with him. Now, of course, Michael, um, at least like I said, at the time he wrote this, he was an atheist, and so he sits down with this atheist consultant and he pours out his heart for about two hours. He says, Michael, let me tell you who I am. And he says, here's my past. Here's what I'm thinking about my future. Here's my successes. Here's my failures. Here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. Uh, here's my faith in Christ. You need to know that about me. I'm a Christian. I'm committed to Christ. And he kind of goes through this whole thing. Spends like two hours. And he says, Michael, I'm just really confused. I don't know what to do. And Michael Cammie, this atheist consultant, he says, okay, i got a question for you. If you can answer this question, I can help you figure out your life. Here's a here's question. What's in your box? He so I've been listening to you for the last two hours. He said, it's pretty clear to me, it's one of two things. It's either making more money or it's figuring out what Jesus wants you to do and doing that. It's either making more money or it's Jesus Christ. If you can tell me which of those is going to go into your box... That I can help you figure out your life. But he said, if you can't figure out which of those two things, you're going to vacillate and oscillate between these two values and you're going to just never be able to get on track. You're not going to be able to have a focus for your life. And Bob, as he tells the story, he said, it was amazing, sitting there and having this atheist consultant calling him out on his faith, you know. And he said it was like you know, being deer in the headlights for a while. What was he going to put in the box? How is he going to answer the question? And finally it came to a point where he said, okay, here's where it is. It's going to be Jesus Christ. I don't care if I make more money. I need, I need to please Jesus Christ. I'm putting Jesus in the box. And then Michael said, okay, then I can work with you on the strategic implications for your life. And they went on, and, and, and Bob went on to design a ministry organization called Leadership Network. It's an amazing organization. It's worked with um, large churches, mega churches in our country, churches of great influence. And it, it provides consulting to them, but more importantly, it initiated the idea of getting 20 or 25 of these pastors together, lead pastors at a time, so they can learn from one another. What's God teaching you? How, how can we learn from each other to speed up the learning process? And his organization has huge impact in some of the major churches that are most influential in our country today. On top of that, Bob went on to write some books. Some of you have read some of his books. One of his books was the uh, book Halftime. So you've, you've heard of that book that's influenced hundreds and thousands of people in their walk with God, in, their, in their, their lives. But see, it all happened. It all happened when he decided what was in his box. And so, you know, for every one of us, at a time like this, at the beginning of the year, we have to decide who's in our box this year. What, what's in your box? Let me ask you this. Who is the number one competitor to Jesus Christ in your life? We all have a number one competitor, don't we? You just have to figure out who it is, what it is. For Bob, it was m- making money or Jesus. That was his competitor. For, for many of us here, it might be something totally different. It might be success on the job. You might be single. The number one competitor for you is finding a mate. It's your top priority for this year. Yeah. For someone else, it might be your kids. For someone else, it could be uh, uh, you know, getting that dream house. It could be a million things. You know, we're with so many different people here. We got different but we each have a number one competitor to Jesus Christ. So the question is, who's in your box? Are you ready to open the box? You ready to figure that out? There in your note sheet, Jesus gave us a box verse. Matthew six, twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says when push comes to shove, you can only have one name in the box. Because in those times of crisis, one of those is coming out. There's only only room for one. And what God is saying to us is if you can tell me what name is in your box, I can tell you the strategic implications for your growth in 2006. Great verse in the Old Testament. I put it there in your note sheet. The story, uh, a prophet, Hanani, comes to the king Asa, and here's what he says. He says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I want you to catch what I'm saying. God's word says that God is looking over the whole earth for people who will put him in the box. Pleasing him, top priority. Put him in the box. He says, because so that he can show himself strong, he can come along and strengthen those people. You see, there comes a point in our life we put Jesus in the box. And we say, okay, this is priority number one. And what it does in the spiritual realm, it just releases something for God to work in our life. I've seen it time and time again. So 2006, who's in your box? Are you ready to grow? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time as a congregation to be able to come together and, and to um, really think about these things. You know, are we, are we ready to grow? Are we, are we ready to follow? Are, who's in our box and so on? We thank you for these two weeks we've had to reflect together. And God, we just we would pray that you'd give us strength and grace to put your name in the box. Give us the courage, Lord, to be willing to take the risk, the risk that Bob Buford took, and say, okay, I'm putting the one name in the box, one name alone is Jesus. Now, what are the strategic implications? And God, we pray as we take that step that you would just release new powers in our life, release new uh, forces in our life to shape us and mold us and make this the best year of growth yet. We pray this in your name. Amen. And as we wrap this up, may this be a year of growth for you. May may this be the year you grow more and faster than any year yet. May this be the year where the Holy Spirit is your personal mentor and your growth coach and he's coming alongside and showing you what the next steps are. And may this be a year that you're willing to get out of the boat, you take a risk, follow where he leads, take the specific growth step plans that he puts in your heart, And so that when we come to this time next year, you'll be able to look back and say, wow, what an amazing year. Amazing for you personally, amazing for us as a church, as together we learn how to put him in the box and then follow as he breaks out of the box wherever he goes. God bless you. Have a great year. We'll see you next weekend.